Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Ah, welcome to Living Free. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. Thanks to the Ruminations crew for another great show highlighting issues around homelessness. My name's Bill, and for the next hour, my guests will be sharing their journey of recovery from active alcoholism. I'd like to welcome Lisa and Kath to the studio uh, this afternoon. Hi. Hi, Bill. Hi, Bill. Um, As members of Alcoholics Anonymous, they're going to share their experience with alcoholism and how AA has helped them. Um, Usually we start talking about, you know, what it was like growing up as a kid, um, what sort of things happened, and when you first realised that alcohol had a special place for you. So I guess, um, what if we start with you, Kath? What was, what was it like growing up, you know, family life and stuff, and, and when did you realise alcohol did something special? Well, for me, uh, Bill, um, you know, family life was, uh, was you know, pretty good in, in my, my early years. You know, I came <clears throat> uh, from a middle-class family and, uh, you know, um, we... we me and my brother had uh, were were well looked after. I did, uh, you know, I was an anxious uh, child, um, you know, throughout. Uh, well, as long as I could remember, um, and uh, and but apart from that, you know, I was a confident person. I, um, you know, I, I I had a lot of friends. Um, you know, I had a good education and. Uh, and uh yeah it was just that anxiety and that that worry and wondering about you know what my what what this world was all about and what was my my purpose in life you know pretty heavy questions uh, you know pretty heavy thoughts for a for a young child but you know that was what happened yeah and, so um did you feel any different to your friends were you doing anything different at that point or no i wasn't no, no i was i you know i had a good um a good connection with my friends and i was very uh, you know, as far as the things that um, that we 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 did, you know, I wasn't I wasn't any I I, I can't remember it being any different to to my friends. So um, it was all internal. It was my my worries, and uh, and I felt you know that I had the weight of the world on my shoulders at times, even from a very young age. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Yeah, it's funny how that happens. So um, when did you start drinking? What was the what was the sort of trigger event, I guess, that made you realise alcohol did something for you? Sure. Um, well, I started drinking at the age of 13 and it was that normal, I guess, uh, you know, I see it as normal. Uh, I was hanging out with friends and it was just that, um, that uh, I guess, teenage experimentation. We got hold of some alcohol, you know, and... Um, and we drank, and I just, you know, I, I felt that sense of ease and comfort, you know, and my worries disappeared, and I had I had a good time, and um, it was, you know, and I just couldn't wait to do it again, you know. It was on the weekends um, that we used to go out, and it just became a regular thing after that. So it was all good fun, and I, I, I just felt at ease, and... I thought this is wonderful. Natural. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, 
Lisa, what what about you? What was your early life like, and when did you realise alcohol did something for you that didn't necessarily do for other people? But yeah, uh, I have a an interesting background with alcohol. Um, I come from an alcoholic family, three generations that I know of, and you know cousins and everything. Uh, so a lot of alcoholism in my family, a lot of denial in my family as well. Uh, my parents split up when I was eight. There was a lot of um, fighting and alcoholism in the home. And I didn't really have my first drink, my first proper real drink. Um, and I can remember the day vividly. I can remember the feelings vividly. Um, yeah, like growing up, I was anxious as well. I was shy. Um, coming from an alcoholic home too, it was I had all that hidden stuff going on at home. So you know, you don't invite kids over. My parents split up and at that time at school and where I lived um, in Northcote, you know, that was like, um, you know, it was a, a shameful thing to have your parents break up um, and then the drinking, which was, you know, it was so it was really confusing. But my first drink at, at 13, um, I can look back and I, I can, the feelings that it, it made me more confident, whereas I'd been shy and anxious. It allowed me to talk to people naturally and I'd never been able to do that. I felt grown up, you know, and it was like my head stopped for a moment, you know, just telling me how how earth, uh, worthless or how, you know, different I was to everybody else. So I think I, I didn't really start drinking until I was like 16, uh, you know, and again, it's the peer thing at high school and, you, you know, you go out, you get some, you know, you get drinking and, you know, I didn't think it was a problem back then. Um, I used to go to a lot of discos and dancing and that's really showing my age here. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I think I used to dance more than I drank and then um, that changed. <laughs> the drinking took over the dancing and then the alcoholic effects started happening. Right. Okay. Um, you also mentioned to me that your dad took you to a nightclub one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I won't even. I, I have no idea what year. Well, I could probably work out what year it was. It was a, a disco uh, that allowed underage people in, so under 18s, and it was a BYO place. Wow! So <laughs> I know uh, my my dad actually used to drive my best friend and I there. Um, on a Saturday night and he'd stop at a bottle shop in Sydney Road and buy us a bottle of pink star wine. And, yes, I know there's heaps of people out there groaning, ugh. But, um, and I, you know, my my friend thought he was the coolest dad out, you know, and I thought he was great too, you know. Um, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he knew um, at that point. I don't know. He, he did know he had a drinking problem later on in life and, and, I didn't get it at the time, but I certainly got it now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so, Kath, um, progressed from 13, so things were going, not, not too many problems drinking. You're no, no, very life? little consequences. Yeah. Um, you know, being brought home by the police, you know, occasionally <laughs> or having my alcohol just confiscated by the police sometimes oh, without wow. even yeah. the, my parents finding out, yep. which they will now. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, yeah, look, there was very little consequence and uh, and even at the age of about 15, you know, we used to go out with my parents uh, every Saturday night for a family dinner and uh, and mum used to allow me to order one 
drink, drink one yeah. alcoholic drink, you know, yeah. back in the days where you were allowed to do that. And, um, and I don't remember ever, you know, I could have that one alcoholic drink. I don't ever remember going home and craving more. So, um, you know, it was all very normal. But when I went out with my friends, it was always to wipe myself out. Right. And, um, yeah, there was no, no real con- – it was just good fun, you know. And, um, you know, a lot of us would vomit and <laughs> – and, you know, and drink more and it was just hanging out with mates and getting yeah. smashed, yeah, yeah. having yeah. a good time. Yeah. So did you ever black out? Not until the age of 19 that I remember. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, at the age of 19 um, I had a, uh, a a blackout episode which I was told about with my friends um, and, uh, you know, as far as they could see I was totally normal you know I was still talking and functioning and but I did have a personality change and I started to get um, quite uh, aggressive um, towards them and uh, and uh, you know the other thing was uh, there was a lot of self-pity you know um, unusual yes Um, but I didn't think too much about it when they told me I thought oh well you know this is just one of those things that hasn't ever happened before but that was the first of uh of many blackouts after you know it, they they then progress from that point on right okay um and you um you also told me that you lost your license yes yeah. so i was a prolific drink driver um you know i did work in the hospitality industry and i worked in a lot of pubs too and i was i was always uh you know i'd become a daily drinker by that stage and uh and uh I at twenty one, uh, you know, I was I was pulled over. I nearly ran. I was turning a corner actually, and I nearly hit a police car head on. So um, <laughs> that's, that's the way to go. Yeah, he turned around uh, and uh, followed me, and I I tried to escape him by turning into a no through road and then into someone else's uh, driveway. Um, and uh, yeah, so I lost my license. But look, that just gave me license to be able to drink more. And I, you know, I I knew that there was something something up um by that stage so you know uh i did i did attend my first aa meeting a one-off after i lost my license as a a consequence yeah 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 yeah, as a consequence yeah and yeah it certainly it was a one-off and i i didn't identify in any way shape or form um and i just wasn't ready it wasn't my time yet i just thought look these these are growing pains they'll sort themselves out yeah i guess there was a lot of people your age who lost their license as well so you weren't that uncommon no it wasn't an unusual thing it was just yeah although the friends that i was hanging out with hadn't lost their license so i i guess that may have been at the time i don't remember now but maybe that was a trigger to attend my first aa meeting um and uh yeah as i said i just didn't didn't relate at all um, I only remember, <clears throat> excuse me, one speaker. Um, there was there was obviously more than one speaker, but they, this one speaker spoke about being homeless and uh, and uh, being in the gutter and struggling and poverty and and it was all stuff that I I, I didn't relate to at all. So uh, I was out of there and and not back for many years. Right. Okay. Uh, Lisa, um, so you are going out dancing. You're in your late twenties. Um, so what was what was it like, you know? Okay. Uh, it was more my late teens, early 20s, uh, the, the disco days. Okay. <laughs> um, 
I actually also, and this is really weird, I attended my first meeting um, when I was around 21. Uh, that was the year of the 21st birthday parties and the drinks flowed. Um, what got me to my first meeting was uh, something humiliating that had happened on the Saturday night at at one of my school friends' parties and uh, I was so horrified and frightened. Um, I rang AA on the Monday whispering because uh, I didn't want the people at work to hear and, you know, so ashamed and it was all a big secret and I was just so confused and... Um, the person on the other end of the phone gave me uh, addresses of, of different meetings in my area and I remember thinking I can't go to the one in the suburb where I live because someone might see me going to an AA meeting. <laughs> uh, not realising, of course, that everyone there is for the same reason and they would be the only people that would understand. Um, again, like Kath, I didn't identify at all. Um, I was 21. The meeting that I went to, and, and the thing I didn't realise that I do today is that every meeting is different. It's the same, but they have different atmospheres. There's different structured meetings. Um, the one that I went to, and it was, again, many years ago, uh, I only remember a couple of the speakers. Uh, I didn't identify at all because the people, the things that I heard were... I've lost my my family. I've lost, you know, I lost my wife. I've been to jail. I've done, you know, all these things that, as a good girl of twenty one, <laughs> I hadn't had no concept of. I wasn't married. I didn't have kids. You know, I was in my first job, but but just not yet. You mm. know, I'm not that bad. And uh, we were mentioning blackouts before, and um, I didn't even know what a blackout was until many years after I'd had them and when friends, when I had friends, <laughs> would point out what I'd, what I'd said or did the night before, I, I didn't believe them. I really did not believe them because it was so different to what I was like in my regular life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was sort of thinking back onto the blackout. A lot of people don't realise that alcoholics have blackouts mm. and I was sort of just thinking back to my dad and probably a lot of his... Um, Jekyll and Hyde behaviour mm. was blackouts and it was just so common that you just thought that was him. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the thing that, that's really, um, you know, really shameful and really scary is that, you know, the way that I would hear my friends describe um, my behaviour change, you know, and the way that I changed was so unlike who who I really am um and you know you've got you've got no concept because you're in a blackout you know you're not passed out you're still functioning you're still talking you're still you know um breathing conversing yeah. so I just wanted to mention too that I do remember actually um one of my catalysts uh, probably to go to the AA meeting was uh, a week after I lost my license so I was driving back from the pub and this was back in the days where you could uh, you could hold your license for a month um, before they gave you a buffer period, so you didn't need to hand it in straight away. And I was driving home from the pub drunk again, um, and uh, and I turned a corner and I hit a pedestrian, and uh, and he was drunk too. So he went up on the bonnet and he went up onto the windscreen, and I stopped the car and I got out and and he he sort of abused me and pushed me around and then stumbled off down the street. And I think. I still think back to that day that if the police had been involved, I, I blew a very high reading on my uh, when I lost my license, and if the police had been involved, I would have had 
I would have definitely gone. I, I really believe I definitely would have gone to jail. Um, you know, the magistrate tore strips off me anyway without knowing about that. And uh, I think it was shortly after that that I went to AA. So mm. that would have uh, definitely been a catalyst. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, so I think also, how, how did your friends take it when you lost your licence? Were you, did they treat you any differently? Or? No, be, uh, still at the same time, you know, there was, the, the the damage was still minimal. I mean, I was starting to have blackouts and there was still the personality change, but it, it was not happening all the time. Um, and, and that's the baffling thing is it doesn't happen all the time. Um, and uh, you know, I, I could have I could have my good nights and my bad nights, and you know, um, and I and sorry was enough back then. Whereas mm. when things progressed, sorry, sorry just became a word. People were like, "We've heard this so many times yep. before." So, yeah, um, they were happy to drive me around, and uh, and I took public transport and um, and taxis, yep. you know, at other times. Okay, right. Um, so, Lisa, you went to your first AA meeting and didn't like it and so what happened then you just I yeah I went to my first meeting and uh I remember my first thought was oh god this is a religious cult because I saw the serenity prayer on the wall uh so a lot of my mind closed down there I heard the uh the stories that I could not relate to even though there would have been stories that I could have related to but uh you know my mind was closed uh i I was a mess. I was a mess. Uh, a woman gave me her phone number. I never rang her back. I just, I walked out of there or, you know, thought, oh, AA's not for me because I don't belong there. I'm not that, it was all, I'm not that bad. And I didn't realise that I'm not that bad yet. Yeah. Because I didn't know AA was a progressive disease. Mm. I thought I knew all about alcoholism because of my family history and I knew nothing and I, you know, I learn every day more about alcoholism and, you know, um, it took me a lot of years to get back to AA and um, I tried it briefly, I think, when I was about 27 for a little bit. I would never stay long enough to get any lasting recovery. I'd, I'd go in for maybe a month or two. Um, I wouldn't connect with anybody because I had those, I had these big walls up and, um, you know, I think, oh, I'm fine. And because I was healthy uh, and because I wasn't drinking and I wasn't doing those crazy things in blackouts and, you know, all the consequences of my drinking and all the, the mind stuff that, that happens, like your, your time distortion and, um, you know, just the thoughts in your head, which are so negative and, and so destructive. Um, so I, I um, you know, would just go on and, and sort of I, I ended up reinventing myself a lot of times because I, I just had to. I um, If anyone tried to point out my drinking to me, it was like, you're dead to me because yeah. it was just too close for comfort. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, you're listening to Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Uh, we, we have uh, 19 recent episodes of Living Free available on podcast on the Living Free uh, webpage, which is 3cr.org.au forward slash Living Free, and they're also available on iTunes. There's also plenty of great podcasts of other 3CR shows available at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcasts. 
If you have a que- if you have a question or comment about the show, you can call the station on nine four one nine eight three seven seven or send us an email at three CR Living Free at gmail dot com. Our summer break begins after today's show, and we return on the twenty fifth of January, twenty eighteen. But on the fourth of January, there's ge- there's going to be a summer special Living Free show featuring Overeaters Anonymous, which is their first time on on radio. So please join us. Um, I'm talking to Lisa and Kath about alcoholism and recovery through Alcoholics Anonymous. So um, we sort of finished off the last segment talking about um, getting into AA briefly, but then there's a long break between the next one, I understand. So, um, Kath, what, how, was, how, how did life progress after that initial encounter? Okay, so, I mean... As I said, um, you know, that, that first initial encounter um, was not... I, I wasn't ready and uh, and I think um, I just hadn't got to that stage. But as, uh, as you know, life progressed, um, you know, blackouts became more familiar. Um, my behaviour, my responsibilities um, uh, were affected by my drinking... My life really, uh, look, I mean, it probably centred around drinking before then, but, but there were more consequences. And, uh, and I guess it started with, um, with losing my licence. Um, but then friends, yeah, friends just started to drop off. You know, I would promise, and I would mean it from the bottom of my heart, I would promise that I would change uh, my behaviour and uh, and that I wouldn't drink as much and it would never happen again and lo and behold it would happen again and it would happen again and over and over again and um, and I must say that you know my friends gave me uh, a lot of chances um, you know I also um, I guess did geographicals with my employment um, early on because you know things would start to to mess up a bit and um and I'd get out before I mean I don't know whether it was paranoia or or not but um I would I would just feel uncomfortable and I would jump out and, and grab another job and uh but yeah the friends started dropping off and and I I I couldn't trust myself you know I wouldn't know what was going to happen uh, when I went out. Um, a lot of places, a lot of the times that I went out, I'd end up in strange places or with strange people, and I wouldn't know how I got there. And um, and I could just feel the danger. And I'd be alone, even if I even if I'd gone out with a group of friends, I would find myself alone. So I'd wandered away from my friends, um, and I just couldn't trust myself. I was I thought this is going to end up very badly so I started to isolate and um and drink at home which made things I guess even more I was even more disconnected um and uh the little you know the the small amount of friends that I had left I I you know I'd make promises that yes I'd go out and then I'd have a drink beforehand and I wouldn't end up I wouldn't call them and I wouldn't so it just you know I just became isolated and um, you know, and I thought it was all about, you know, the anxiety I felt and, you know, and life circumstances, um, you know, that if I had more, you know, if I was in a relationship, if I fell in love or if I had more money or if, um, 
if I had a great job and all this sort of stuff that um you know things would get better it was all about the externals and um and you know I did fall in love and um and that relationship ended badly and you know I did find my my dream job which ironically was in a bottle shop but, um, <laughs> but it was more about you know it was more than just the drinking it, I really enjoyed the job and the environment and um, and nothing, it just, it, you know, <clears throat> Lisa mentioned before about it being a progressive illness, which I didn't know about and things, no matter what happened, things just got worse. And I was able to white knuckle, you know, those where they say you, you should have two days a week alcohol free. I was able to do that in my mid twenties, uh, where I could white knuckle it. They'd never be consecutive days. Um, one would be like a Sunday and a, and a Thursday or something, um, but um, but then after a while, I, 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 you know, unless something really bad happened, I, I couldn't um, I couldn't stop drinking. And it was that, you know, if something really bad happened, then I might be able to stop for a few days if I was lucky. And then I pick up again. There didn't even need to be a reason why I picked up again. Mm. It must have been difficult work. It it was thinking back on it. It was very difficult. <laughs> um, and uh, and you know and all the lying and you know and I guess the hiding and um, you know trying to tr- just trying you know my my whole focus seemed to be <clears throat> excuse me on on alcohol um, and uh, and you know I would I gave up promotions at my work because it would it was going to interfere with my drinking um, and you know. I didn't realise at the time, you know, how how it impacted and, um, you know, that was something that uh, it's so, it's so, you know, sneaky and, uh, you know, yeah, it was, it was very hard work and, um, yeah, and the the hiding and the lying and the cheating and, and all that sort of stuff to, to try and just make sure that I could drink and I could drink the way I wanted to drink and to do it in peace without... Um, anyone getting in the way, um, yeah, it was it was extremely hard work. <laughs> did you seek help at all? I did seek help. Um, look, in my, um, I guess, mid, early 20s, mid 20s, you know, I'd suffered from anxiety and I guess depression through my teenage years and, um, and I, I had seen, um, you know, people about that. Um, psychologists. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> I also saw a doctor in my in my twenties, and um, you know, anxiety got anxiety related medication and uh, depression related medication, and um, and I saw psychologists and psychiatrists. But we didn't really touch on the alcohol. They might have mentioned, but I mean, I would have just brushed it off as like, no, I'm just you know, I'm just a social drinker, and I just drink when when friends are around. Um, uh, a bit later on, uh, as th- the friends started to drop off, I did seek um, uh, help from an, from drug and alcohol counsellors, um, and there was the the harm minimisation, which was the um, controlled drinking, which I absolutely failed at, and I couldn't understand why. Um, but um, even even then, I guess I just I was looking for a quick fix solution i wanted someone to tell me how i could stop drinking the way i was drinking and to just drink normally like other people um and i wasn't as bad as everyone else no i didn't need a detox no i didn't need a rehab um 
keep those for the people who really need them. Um, I'm fine, you know, and, um, you know, it, it was still, you know, there was still that really strong point of denial. And I think also my employment, because I was still employed working in a bottle shop at the time, um, may have been a, a, a big contributing factor to that to that denial and that delusion. I mean, to me, alcoholics were the ones who were standing outside the door of my bottle shop at 8.30 in the morning waiting to come in and buy their five-litre cask of wine. I was not that person. I was the one serving these people. Mm. I didn't drink cask wine, you know. Well, I did it at the end, but... Um, <laughs> But you know, I drank I drank bottled wine, and I was refined, and I was such I was just in such denial, um, and uh, yeah. So yeah, but at the same time, on the other flip side, as I said, I did seek help. So yeah. I you know, it still doesn't make sense to me today. But I think you know there was something something there that definitely said I want to drink like a normal person. I know I've got a little bit of a problem. Let's try and knock this on the head. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, Lisa, um, jobs, again, too, a difficult thing for alcoholics to retain a job, particularly when you work in industries that promote, socialise. Yeah. yeah. Uh, definitely, Bill. Uh, I um, I started working in the advertising industry and um, that was very social. There was a lot of drinking back then. Uh the, the weird thing was that, well, not it's not weird now, but I can look back because hindsight is such an incredible gift today, but I was drinking alcoholically at times, um, but I was still comparing myself when I thought about my drinking to that, you know, the whole stereotypical alcoholic, which is... And there is no stereotypical alcoholic. And um, I thought I didn't really have a problem because I didn't drink every day. So I can't be a real alcoholic. And because my behaviour was totally different to my mother and my father's, you know, I knew I had a problem, but I thought it wasn't that bad. It was different, you know, and and that's what I grabbed onto probably. But um, I found that... Every job I would start, I'd um, I'd start sober. I would start motivated. I'd start healthy. I'd start, you know, really fired up. And um, because I had no idea about the um, the craving aspect of of alcoholism, that once I I started drinking again, I would have a slow progression over time. Um, I couldn't hold a job for longer than say four and a half years and that will t- that's in the early days um you know each I would have a job for say four and a half years and then my drinking would get to the point where I had resigned be- or before I was fired because mm. I'd start getting warnings and um you know that was okay I'm out of here soon because if they mentioned my drinking I was out of there even quicker because you know and the same thing with friends if they you know Lisa, I think you've got a problem. It was like, I don't want to talk to you anymore. I can't talk to you anymore because mm. it was just so deep. Mm. Um, yeah, but then I would resign from a job and then I would spend, I don't know how long, my drinking would just get really bad for me at the time. And again, it may not be as bad as other people's or it may be less bad than, you know, some. And then something would happen I'd... I'd get my shit together and I'd start a new job and I'd start sober and I'd start and then 
you know, Friday night drinks and and then, you know, the next lot of my working history was like a bit shorter and the time between jobs was longer. And um, I, cha- I, you know, changed places, I moved around, I changed careers, I, I went into the travel industry after advertising and, again, a very social, a lot of drinking and high stress. It's, um, yeah, it's all... A, I can look in hindsight and say, wow. <laughs> right. Um, and so how did it progress you know, towards the end before you really sought help? What sort of things were happening to you? Ah, uh, yeah. When I was sober and when I was working sober, I could do amazing things and my career was great. Um, I, in sobriety, I went abseiling and I, you know, started flying lessons and, and then my drinking would stop all my outside interests. Uh, the drinking would take over. The drinking would progress. So I'd drink more. You know, it wouldn't be just the Friday nights and the Saturday nights. It would be after work, you know, where I'd, none, I'd never done that in the past. Um, I started getting panic attacks and that was I, – I didn't think that was anything related to alcohol and I couldn't understand it because I've been abseiling, I've got a student pilot's licence, I'm, you know, I'm fearless, I'm independent, you know. How can I be having panic attacks? And I, I saw a, um, a doctor, a family doctor um, who um, – he knew more about me than I did, uh, mm-hmm. who referred me to a psychiatrist um, who actually on our first couple of sessions asked me about my drinking and I said, oh, I'm just a social drinker. And that was by that stage there was nothing social about my drinking. Um, mm-hmm. My drinking had, um, you know, changed from drinking out socially, not drinking socially but drinking out <laughs> with other people uh, to um, the first time I got... I lived in a place by myself where I didn't have to hide my drinking. Yeah, uh, that's when I really, really knew I had a problem. But I still, I didn't relate the panic attacks to the drinking. Um, and then, um, yeah, it got a really bad point and I um, saw the psychiatrist the, a week after a really bad weekend uh, where I ended up in hospital Um and um, I came back and, and I just, I, I, all the truth came out about me, about the hidden side of my life, of the hidden side of me. And um, I'd heard about a rehab uh, that ironically I had gone to three months before for a rest and re- recreation, relaxation week, thinking that would get my, help me get my shit together and stop the panic attacks and a week off the booze did, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, three months later I was in the rehab. Um, yeah, I started my real journey, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're listening to Living Free on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. I'm talking to uh, Lisa and Kath um, about recovery from alcoholism um, with the help of AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. So um, we finished the last set talking about um things going a bit from bad to worse and um thinking about AA and thinking about rehab so um Kath what um what got you into rehab I think it was detox detox yes yeah. um well for me um 
I, you know, things had... <coughs> I'd, I'd certainly been seeking help from a drug and alcohol counsellor or counsellors, um, I think a couple of years before... I even, I even actually um, uh, had a session of hypnosis, which was a total waste of money um, because I, I left that, that hypnosis place um, and, and went and drank. Um, but uh, I lost my job, um, and there was a number of um, mitigating circumstances as to why I lost my job. Um, and uh, I, I thought, okay, I will get another job, um, I will just have a little bit of a break, and um, and I was fortunate. Well, I, I mean, it was fortunate because um, I think it was a catalyst uh, in many ways. Is that um, I came into a reasonable amount of money, um, which gave me the opportunity to instead of when I, I said to myself, "I'm just going to have a couple of weeks," I thought, "Oh, maybe I'll, I'll have a month off," and uh, and in that time, I. Um, I started drinking uh, 24... Well, I became a 24-7 drinker. Um, I Things went from bad to worse. Um, you know, uh, I, I'd had... Uh, you know, previous to that, I had had times where I was, I, I'd said to myself, I'm not drinking today, I'm not drinking today, and I would be able to get through the whole <coughs> work day at work and uh, and I'd, I'd arrive home and it'd be like an out-of-body experience where I would just end up with a, a, a drink in my hand. So um, whereas, you know, uh, once I lost my job, it was... Um, I, I I just couldn't give up. I, 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 had, I, I was trying and failing just too many times. And I would even say to myself, I'm not going to drink till five or I'm not going to drink till three or I'm not going to drink till midday. And and it just it just didn't work um so i gave up just giving up and um and you know my headspace became i became extremely i was very isolated um you know um the damage you know and the the pressure that was putting on my family um you know i virtually had no friends left um was um was very very significant um and i just did not know how to get out, you know, and uh, and I stopped seeing a drug and alcohol counsellor uh, previous, you know, uh, six months previous, roughly, um, and uh, I, um, yeah, look, it just it got to the point where it was like Groundhog Day, you know. I just knew that I was going to drink again, exactly the same way tomorrow, um, and. Uh, and I became extremely depressed. Um, I, you know, my headspace was... was uh, the only way that I could think was... I got to the point where it was a jumping-off place, you know, where I thought the only way to stop this misery, not only on myself but also on the people around me, is to kill myself. I couldn't... I, I'd run out of answers. And, uh, and just through, I don't know, you know some miracle uh, a, a drug and alcohol counsellor had got on board I'd stopped seeing you know this this other guy about six months prior and he, he this new guy just rang me out of the blue and said I've got your case file here are you okay do you want me to just close your case file or do you want to come and see me and you know at that point I had decided how I was going to kill myself I just hadn't set a, set a date so I was very very close and uh, and I said to him, look, I really think I, I need to come and see you. And I, I went and saw him and we chatted and I was extremely honest. I'd, I'd just got to that point where I'd had, I guess, the alcohol had 
beaten the humility into me where I, I you know, I'd always been taught not, not taught, but I, I've grown up, you know, believing that you, you don't ask for help, you know, that's a sign of weakness. And, um, and so he organised uh, detox and, um, and that was my first, I guess, proper introduction um, even though I'd had that, that experience years ago to AA. AA came into the detox and, and talked to it. Don't ask me what they said because I have no idea. I was very foggy. Um, but um, the the day I got out of detox, um, I, I went to a meeting. Right. That's where it started. Yeah, good. So did things get better? Not to start with, no. To be honest, um, for the first uh, few months... Um, things got worse you know the suicidal thoughts didn't leave um i i had no uh sort of i couldn't self-medicate anymore even though the alcohol had stopped working i was just passing out rather than uh you know doing anything else but i uh but what did help was there was something there the hope that i got from other members sharing their their stories um and just being I guess I felt safe, you know, my home environment was my drinking environment, had become my drinking environment, and I felt safe, and, and I felt supported, and uh, and I spent a lot of time, at as much time as I could, actually, at AA meetings, and, um, you know, I was, I was quite um, withdrawn in myself, um, so that took time. Hard, slowly... hard to help. It's yeah. It's hard to help somebody who's withdrawn, isn't it? That's right, yeah. and but that's the great thing about AA is that, you know, people are there and they understand and uh, and they give you that space but at the same time they support you and they try and draw you in and, and they're very, very supportive and, um, yeah, and so, but after that three, it's all in hindsight, you know, um, but after that three, three, look, the shakes didn't stop for, for a long time. I had headaches for quite a few months um i had very high blood pressure um you know my health was um was um was not good and um you know i just um that all took time to to repair itself you know but what i could do was just keep going to to aa and and just you know doing what was suggested i guess um and the, it was just attending. That, that's all I needed to do at the start was just attend, and things, yeah, slowly got better. Right, yeah. good. Um, now, Lisa, I understand you were at the first meeting that Kath went to, is that? I was, mm-hmm. and uh, I remember a lot more about it than she does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I was actually sitting right opposite Kath, and she'd come out of um, detox that day, so she'd been off everything for a week. Um, she'd heard the the AA people had come in on the Thursday. Uh, th- I can tell I can tell you this because you don't remember. <laughs> yeah, uh, three AA members had come in on the Thursday while you were at detox and shared. And I know those members, and she does know who came in that day now. Now, <laughs> um, and she sat just opposite me, and there was something in her face. Something she just at one point she just said, "I'm done," and I knew that she was done. And it was just incredible. Didn't. She didn't. <laughs> I, I knew she was done. <laughs> but um, yeah, and uh, ever since, Kath has been has been one of those you know fortunate ones who stayed sober, one day at a time. One day yeah. at a time. Yeah. So so when you came to AA, you didn't 
you didn't stay sober from day one, did you? No, no. no I um, I went into rehab, uh, as I said. Uh, I didn't get a lot of the rehab program, or a lot of the information, because it was just such a relief. It was the first time that I'd really heard other people talking about what I was feeling, the way I was hiding the booze, hiding the empty casks, because I was <laughs> drinking cask wine by that stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually, just a funny aside, heard that cask wine's going up to $45 a cask. Thank God I stopped drinking when I did. (laughs) But, um, yeah, it was such a relief and and a freedom that uh, in rehab, uh, we did the steps, the 12 steps in rehab on our own, which I now, in hindsight again, we use that word a lot. Mm. (laughs) Um, You can't, it's not wise to do it alone because you do need someone else to take you through them, which is where AA sponsorship comes in. And uh, sponsorship is not where they give you money to stay sober Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I wouldn't have got any. (laughs) No, I I struggled um, after I got out of rehab. I did drink again. Um, Again, it was, I also had that, um, I was really afraid to ask for help. And I was under the misconception that because I'd done the 12 steps in rehab, I'd done them and it was a one-time thing and I didn't need to do them again. And so I was, you know, I did go out and drink again and, would, you know, came back to AA and eventually realised that asking for help was not a sign of weakness. It is the biggest sign of strength that you can, that you can have and... Um, Nowadays, uh, I travel the world, no panic attacks. Uh, the anxiety has lessened. Uh, sometimes it's gone completely, which is amazing. Um, I was agoraphobic at the end of, before I got into rehab. Um, I couldn't pick up the phone. I couldn't answer, I couldn't answer the door. And now I actually, I can walk in the street. I can, I've gained inches, I reckon, in my height because I stand up straight now. I can look people in the eye now. I could not do that. Um, you know, AA has saved my life mm. a number of times and um, I had a relapse six, no, seven years ago yeah. it started and um, Kath saw me through that. So yeah. whereas I helped her in early sobriety, mm. she helped me after my relapse and, and that's what AA is all about. Mm. So I'm so lucky, so very, very lucky. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, Kath, what, what's it like now? What's, what's it oh, like? Oh, wow, yeah. Bill. Um, you know, so much has changed. And I think the most important thing is how I deal with, um, you know, life hasn't changed uh, externally, but it seems like it has, you know. Um, when I got, well, you know, we have this saying that, uh, you know, when I got sober, life did change, but um, it's my perception and it's how I deal with things today. And, mm. um you know, I now have the tools and uh, I haven't thought about picking up a drink. Uh, look, it's not doesn't mean that I don't have the odd thought every now and again that comes in, which is just an hour. It's a first thought. And they say the first thought's not the important, it's the second thought. Um, but life has been good, you know, I... Um, I, you know, I got a job and um, and working and I've been overseas and I've made a whole bunch of friends and I've reconnected with other people, um, you know, that uh, I lost through my drinking. Um, and, um, you know, and my family situation is, is really, really great and healthy. Um, you know, I've, um, I have a completely... In fact, I've probably got a closer relationship with my family today than I did even previous to drinking. Um, and uh, my... Um, 
it, you know, it's just um, there, there's certainly been challenges in my sobriety. There's been a lot of challenges in my sobriety. Um, you know, I've, I've um, had sick. You know, my mother's um, had cancer, and she's uh, and she's going through cancer treatment at the moment. My father's got dementia. Um, and, and still living at home. Um, and uh, But there's been a lot of wonderful things too. You know, my brother's had a baby and uh, and he would never have ever let me uh, babysit or, or even have anything to do with him um, <laughs> previous to drinking. So, you know, we have a really close relationship and I'm able to, um, you know, to see my niece and to, you know, uh, look after her and, um, yeah, you know, and when I've seen the world, you know, I remember what I see. I actually... You know, I don't just go into blackouts or see pubs or it's not all about the alcohol. Uh, you know, life's got, got really good. There's still been challenges, but um, I've had I've now got the tools, you know, to be able to deal with it. And that's what AA has given me. I mean, AA has not just given me a life, um, but has given me the freedom to live my life. And, you know, it's um, I don't just exist today. I live. Yeah, that's great. Okay. Well, we've um, reached the end of the show pretty much. So if you'd like to contact Alcoholics Anonymous, um, if you think AA could help you, then you can phone them on 1300 222 222 or go online at aa.org.au. Um, that's all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Lisa and Kath for coming into the 3CR studio today and sharing their Alcoholics Anonymous recovery experience with us. Thank you. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Bill. Uh, Living Free is now on its summer break and various shows will be played over the next four weeks. Next week, I'll be talking about studying, living and working in New York in 2017 with Jackie Pitt, who's a Monash scholar. Um, And on the 4th of January, we have Overeaters Anonymous as a Living Free Summer Special. Stay tuned now for Black Noise Radio, uh, hosted by Kerry Lee and featuring black news and views, current affairs, music, sport, culture and the arts, all from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. Thanks for listening to the Living Free program today. 